This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I am joined by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. He's also the advisor on Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Hi, bro. Hi, Allison. Today, we're going to talk about five great ways that you, yes, even you, can wreck your retirement savings. There are probably more than five ways. I mean, we're not going to talk about Beanie Babies or investing in fine wine, but, you know, these are five good ways to wreck your retirement if you wanted to. We're also going to answer your questions about whether the SP 500 index fund really is the best. And we're going to reveal the results of our listener survey because you guys say the darndest things. You're awesome. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. All right, it's time for Answers, Answers. And this week's question comes from Howard. He wants to know which is the best long term investment, an SP 500 index fund or a total market index fund? First off, uh, Robert, what's the difference? Well, the S&P 500 index fund basically just buys whatever is in the S&P 500, um, so it owns 500 stocks. However, there are thousands of publicly traded stocks in the United States, so a total market index fund is going to try to buy many more beyond. It'll have that S&P 500, but another several. In fact, if you look at the holdings of the Vanguard's total stock market index, it holds almost 4,000 stocks. Wow, right. that's a lot. Okay, so then. What's the best long-term investment? Historically speaking, if I had to choose one and hold on for the long term, it would be the total market index fund. That's because the S&P 500 is mostly larger companies. The total stock market index fund will also have some of what would be called mid-caps and small-caps, smaller companies that historically have outperformed larger companies. So, According to Ibbotson, from 1926 to 2014, small stocks have returned about 12% a year. Large stocks about ten percent, so two percentage points. But now compound that over that almost ninety-year period or so. Large stocks, a dollar grew to five thousand three hundred dollars. A dollar in small cap stocks. You want to take a guess? A bajillion dollars. Not quite twenty-seven thousand. Oh, okay. So that's, earning that extra yeah. two percentage points is a difference between five thousand three hundred and twenty-seven thousand four hundred. That's, 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 that's for, good. The, that's for good. those of you who have a century of a long-term time horizon. <laughs> so having more small stocks is good, but that performance doesn't happen all the time. It can be pretty streaky, go through streaks, and it can sometimes last a long time. So in fact, over the last several years, the S and P 500 has actually done better than the total stock market index fund because large caps have beat small caps. So it's not a guarantee that you'll always do better in a total market index fund, but over the long term. You'll probably do better. The other question that Howard asked bonus was, question: bonus What alternatives question, would you recommend to both or either of Vanguard's S and P 500 index fund and total market index funds, i.e., the same sort of funds from different investment houses, family brokerages like from Fidelity or Schwab? Right. So when you're looking at just a plain vanilla S and P 500 index fund or total market index fund, most of the big financial services providers have their own version. That said, Vanguard's is generally the cheapest, and you have what's the traditional open-end mutual fund, and you have exchange-traded funds, or ETFs. In all cases, Vanguard's is the cheapest. Does that mean if you're already with Fidelity, you should switch to Vanguard? No. In fact, Fidelity's S&P 500 index fund has the same expense ratio as Vanguard's. It has performed ever so slightly behind because of various ways that they do things, but it is not worth jumping to Vanguard for. So, 
If you're with Schwab, if you're with Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, chances are whatever index funds they have are going to be fine. If you're starting from scratch and you want to be an index fund investor, go with Vanguard. But if I don't, if I have a brokerage account with Fidelity, can I also can I already invest in Vanguard funds? Yes, and I'm glad you brought up that point. That's why I'm the interviewer. That's you're the interviewer. Okay, so we're going back to this. So the index fund, the actual mutual fund, you will probably have to pay what's called a transaction fee to buy the Vanguard fund, and it can be anywhere oh, from sure, twenty-five, like, fifty, yeah. seventy-five dollars. But if you have a real brokerage account, you can buy the Vanguard ETF and just pay a regular commission, which is probably what, like ten bucks or something like that, right? Now, if if you're with Vanguard and you buy Vanguard ETFs, they're generally commission free. But still, paying ten bucks for a good long-term investment, perfectly fine thing to do. Sounds like no matter what Howard does, it's going to be okay. I think he's going to be fine. Now, I'm pretty sure you could wreck your retirement all on your own. You don't need our help. But today, Max Hacker, he is a financial advisor with Motley Fool Wealth Management, a sister company of The Motley Fool. He's here to help us talk about five ways, five common ways that people wreck your retirement. So, if you're looking to wreck your retirement, you've come to the right, yeah, come to the right place. Um, if you don't want to wreck your retirement, obviously, this is a list of what not to do. Max, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. This is going to be a really easy segment for me, because all I basically do is get to look at you, Robert, and say, so what's the first way that someone can really wreck their retirement? (laughs) And I'll just look right back at you, and then look at my laptop for the answer. And the first one is basing your decisions on things that don't matter. And a lot of people anchor their retirement planning decisions, whether it's how much to save or when to retire, on things that really aren't relevant to whether they should be doing that. So, for example, people will contribute enough to their 401k to take full advantage of the match. Whether or not that means they're saving enough or not, that's what they start on. Or they max out the IRA, which the max for this year, it's 5,500. The max. I like that. Unless you're 50 (laughs) or older, it's 6,500. And they think, well, if I've maxed out my IRA, I must be saving enough. But that's not necessarily true. We also see people retiring just because they're eligible for Social Security at 62. Whether or not they've actually saved enough, or uh, you will also see one spouse retiring when the first spouse does, and that may not be the best thing to do for both spouses to be retiring at that point. But because one of the spouses retired, the other one just said, "Well, I should be able to retire too." What you should be doing is doing an actual analysis of your entire situation and determining, "Am I saving enough?" And when you get to your 60s. Do I actually have enough to retire? In my previous life, before I joined The Fool, I was actually uh, the 401k guy. So I was the guy at people's work to say, okay, well, come get your free lunch and here's a guy talk about their 401k. <laughs> yeah. So I would go and um, you know, promote the 401k and investing and what's, what investments they should use and things like that. Sometimes we'd have enrollment meetings where the plan was just starting. And I'd spend a whole hour up there describing you know, how much you should invest, um, give tools and resources say, okay, well, if you plan on retiring at this age, and you're this age now and have this much saved, here's how much you should contribute, right? So I gave them all the tools. At the end of the hour, we handed out the forms. People made their contribution election. What did they choose? What the person next to them did. <laughs> so, okay. They really compared yeah. notes. Okay, so, like, so, so well, Bob, Bob's doing four percent, so that's probably what I should do too. So oh, I, I, maybe funny. I did a bad job, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's definitely not the way to do it. You know, you also hear people say they're maxing out their four hundred one k when they get in a two percent match, so they're contributing four percent overall. 
And then, uh, you know, I have nightmares about them turning 65 and realizing, you know what, maybe I should have done a little bit more. And we've seen this at The Fool. I'm at, I've been on the 401k committee here now for seven, eight years. And we've gradually moved up, moved up the match over that time. And we've also seen the average contribution go up because people are anchoring on whether the contribution is matched or not. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a fun fact, and by fun I mean sad. This is from the Kaiser <laughs> Family Foundation about how much the average Medicare recipient has in terms of savings. Now, not everyone who receives Medicare is retired, but most people are. The average is $63,350. So, this is someone who's probably retired, has $63,000 saved. This person should not have retired. They should have kept working. And now, they might have had health problems, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. But there are people who are retiring just earlier than they should have. They didn't have enough money, much money, and it's more difficult to go back into the workforce after you've been out of it for a while. Absolutely. And then when you start accepting that Social Security at 62, like you mentioned earlier, you know, certainly that's something that can't be undone after that first year, and then you're kind of like, just stuck. The right, we'll right, it. exactly. Right. And, yeah. you've, and you've lowered it for forever. Right. In, except in some situations. Mm-hmm. All right. What's the second way that I can go wreck my retirement if I'm so inclined? Well, retirement is a is a long-term process. So, you, if you're working, you have decades until you retire. And then when you've retired, you should plan on living to your 90s. So, you're probably going to be retired for decades. So, one of the ways to wreck it is to focus on the short-term issues. And what where we see this the most is really people focusing on what happened to the stock market today, this week, this month, or even mm-hmm this year. Whereas, over the long term, the alternatives to the stock market, meaning cash and bonds, they're actually riskier. Because, number one, if you put all your money in cash, you run the risk of not having enough when you need to retire. You run the risk of your money not keeping up with inflation. And over the long term, stocks have done a better job of keeping having your money keep up with the cost of, of living. Um, but even uh, according to Jeremy Siegel and his book, Stocks for the Long Run, if you look at the standard deviation, that is a standard measure of risk volatility over long-term periods, stocks are actually less volatile than bonds mm-hmm. over 20- and 30-year periods, um, partially because of the fluctuations in interest rates um, and how vulnerable bonds can be to inflation. What's ultimately important is uh, you know, the age-old uh, test of knowing your time rising and knowing when you're going to need to use the money. So, uh, the analogy I always use, which I'm definitely going to botch here, is that uh, I, I consider investing like riding on an airplane, right? So, you're on an airplane, you're cruising along at 30,000 feet, that plane starts hitting a little turbulence, starts jumping up and down a little bit. Sure, some people are a little uncomfortable, but most people aren't overly concerned about it. If you're like me, you're probably still asleep. <laughs> Fast forward half an hour later, right? And that plane's coming in for a landing. Instead of 30,000 feet, that plane's now at 30 feet. And starts fluctuating, starts jumping up and down. It's another story, right? I'm not sleeping anymore. My palms are sweating, <laughs> grabbing the stranger next to me. The reason behind that is that pilot has less time to recover when they're 30 feet off the ground than they did when they're 30,000 feet off the ground. So, certainly when you're choosing your investments, you know, if you're not going to need the money for 10, 20, 30 years, it's okay to kind of sit and be uncomfortable Just during some. Leave your headphones on. Exactly. Enjoy the movie. <laughs> take right. that nap <laughs> through that baby crying, and um, <laughs> certainly as you get closer to needing to use the money. So notice I didn't say retirement, but actually needing to use the money. That's when you need to be a little bit more concerned about the fluctuation of volatility in your account. Yeah, and I don't want to discount the volatility of stocks. There was a good article by Alan Roth in the Wall Street Journal recently, who po- he pointed out that actually so far this century since 2000, bonds have actually beaten. Stocks mm-hmm. and it's been an unusual time, so I don't want to be like a cheerleader <laughs> saying you should always 
and you should have your entire portfolio in stocks, and that you're a wimp if you don't. I understand the volatility, but for the long term, you're probably going to do better in the stock market. Yeah. All so right. Well said. Option number three for wrecking my retirement. Cashing out your 401k, and this is a situation when people are with one employer, they contribute to the 401k, and then they leave that employer. And it's it's shocking, actually, that according to Fidelity, one in three people cash it out. So instead of rolling it over to an IRA or rolling it over to the 401k at your new employer, they just cash it out. And that means they're going to pay taxes on that money. If they're not yet 59 and a half, they're going to pay a 10% penalty. And they've just lost out on all that future growth that they could have had if they kept it in a retirement account. And and according to Fidelity stats, it's more likely to happen with younger folks. So for the 20 to 29 crowd, 43% cash out. For folks who are 65 plus, it's 27%. Well, it's so easy when you're younger because it's not like it's that much money. Like <laughs> right. it's like because right. you because you make nothing, and so the match is nothing, and then it's you and then you have this check, and you know you only have like 30 days to like do all this adulting, and <laughs> and so instead you're just like ah forget it, Ugh, what does it matter? But of course right. it does matter because even though it's not much money, it's young money, and young money turns into a big pile of old money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's a good point. I mean, if. Many times you're kicked out of the plan. There's a limit. Generally, if you don't have five thousand dollars, the plan can kick you out, and they might do that because it costs money to have you in the 401k. So you get a check in the mail, and you actually have sixty days to roll it over. But a lot of people don't know that, and they don't do it, and they just hey, I just got an extra check, sweet, and they just cash it. Get some new clothes, right? Right? Because that's important. Well, so if you're in that situation, the important thing to do there is ideally do a direct trustee to trustee transfer, so you don't get that check in your hand because. If it is sent to you, you got to get it somewhere else pretty quickly. Yeah, right. And it's scary for some reason. This one hits home with me because certainly I kind of got to wear a separate hat, right? When I'm out with friends, and um, you know, I'm somewhat younger, so there's a lot of them are in transitional portion of their careers and haven't really uh, focused on saving for retirement. See it as a million years away, and then you know, be out and then hear that they did this and start having to preach the power of compounding to him, be that really unfun <laughs> so friend for guy. a little yeah, bit. Right. At the, at the bar, talking about the power of compounding. Exactly. Um, Let but, me tell you about the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> right, right. Uh, which is why I don't have a lot of friends anymore, but that's oh. another story. <laughs> no, that and you grab them when they're sitting next to you on the airplane. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is getting real. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, this is really shocking to me. I didn't realize this is. I, I see it in my small circle, but overall, I've actually found a stat here from uh, some Federal Reserve data. It says 25% of all 401k accounts are te- are terminated after just three years, and 50% are gone after seven years. So it kind of gives you an idea of the churning of um, retirement accounts and people switching jobs. And I would just encourage listeners that it's okay to have accounts at many different places rather than having to cash it out immediately and do something with a lot of times you can leave it with the plan if they don't give you an ultimatum otherwise. So yeah, that's, that's true. That's a better option than taking the cash and getting taxed like crazy. Yeah. What's the fourth way that I can wreck my retirement? Ignoring your health. So for the typical retiree, healthcare is the second biggest expense after housing. And then housing usually goes down for people because they've paid off their mortgage. Healthcare is the one expense that goes up throughout retirement. And we're all going to need a little bit of it. Um, but the truth is, a lot of health care spending is the result of lifestyle choices. Smoking, mm-hmm. poor diet, not exercising enough. 
That actual figure is debatable. I remember during the Obamacare debates when John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods and a member of the Motley Fool Board, wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal implying that 70% of healthcare spending was due to lifestyle choices. It's probably somewhat controversial, but the point is there's a lot of stuff we can do to improve our health. What happens if you have health conditions in retirement? Well, here's another stat from uh, Kaiser. So, just as an example, someone who has no uh, chronic conditions, on average, they spend about $4,000 a year for health care. That includes Medicare premiums and then out-of-pocket stuff. One to two conditions, that jumps up to $4,600. Three to four conditions, $5,600. Five conditions more, $6,100. So, I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? The more health problems you have, the more you're going to spend in retirement. But health care issues are the number one unpredictable big-ticket expense that derails people's retirement. So I'm happy you brought up healthcare and um, housing costs specifically because I I find a lot of retirees work so hard kind of as they're transitioning to retirement saying, okay, I want to pay off my mortgage. I don't want that expense. I want to own my home. And then certainly once this expense hits of healthcare they didn't pre-plan for, that's really undoing what they just did, right? And they have to tap the home equity. And um, you know that's something that makes them uncomfortable than whether they just plan for it over the long term leading up to retirement. Um, so I, I have a stat here from Fidelity. It says uh, three-fourths of couples uh, listed being able to afford unexpected health care costs in retirement as their top concern moving to retirement, um, but only 22% factored in their financial plan. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to worry about it, but why am I going to do anything to <laughs> right, actually right, exactly. fix the problem? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's, you know, if you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Right. So, you know, it, it hurts. And the best part about that is you may never use it and you're just richer than you thought you would be. Right. So that's the financial component. The other part is just being happy. Yes. And we've referenced before a study from Age Wave and Merrill Lynch that asked retirees 50 and older, what's the number one determinant of a happy retirement? And 81% said health. That was the number one. So 58% said financial well being, but that was the number one. Number one was being healthy. And it's kind of, Obvious. It's hard to enjoy your golden years if you're in bed, if you're in pain, if you can't get out and do the things you want to do. All right. What is the fifth and final way that you recommend I could really wreck my retirement? I totally recommend that you trust people with bad information. I think that's really the the best. Why one would of the I? Best why ways. would I do that? I would never. Like who who would ever trust anyone with bad information? Well, this is a tough one, and and I'm sure Max and I could just go on with all kinds of yeah. anecdotes of situations where either people went to bad financial advisors, took bad advice from friends or relatives, um, or got sources of information elsewhere. So even if you're doing it on your own, you are researching these various financial planning topics somewhere on the internet or books, and a lot of that stuff isn't so great either. Um, So it's tough. I mean, Max and I are both certified financial planner practitioners. We believe in the financial advice industry, but you still have to know enough to know whether you're getting good advice. Yeah. You know, a lot's said about kind of competing financial advisors, right? And should I go to Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, wherever? Well, you know, collectively, I think as advisor community, we say our biggest competitor is the loudest person in your family, right? The most most opinionated person in your family is ultimately who a lot of people end up taking financial advice from, which is sad, but also it's sad that um, maybe not everybody knows the correct resources to find. So, uh, it's kind of that balance where you're getting financial advice, you want to make sure you're getting the education behind that advice rather than just uh, a 
quick snippets over what you should do and why you should do it. So yeah, and we've talked, we've done episodes in this. We won't go over it all, but we mm-hmm. we favor fee only financial planners, folks who are fiduciaries. Mm-hmm. Um, Napfa has them. Garrett Planning Network has them. Um, and I also point out in terms of doing research on your own, you have to make sure you get updated research. And I thought about this when I was listening to a podcast last night about Social Security, like I'm sure everybody was. <laughs> Um, and talking about the new laws that came out in November that take away two key strategies for married couples. If you were reading an article about Social Security that was published mm-hmm. in October, it's outdated. But you might think, oh, October 2015, it's perfectly fine information, but it's already outdated. So Jeez. you could be reading a good source, but if it has not been updated, you might be getting bad information. No kidding. Mm-hmm. This is also a good time to talk about the power of the media. This also gets back to the making short term decisions, but. If you're watching a lot of financial financial news networks, and um, you know, as a PR person, I love and enjoy a lot of producers who work at these shows, but at these at these networks, but they have to produce you know mm-hmm. 12 hours a day oh, yeah. of content. And if you happen to tune in at a time when they're talking doom and gloom, or they're talking you know this is a sure thing or it's not a sure thing, man, it's don't don't base your don't base your investing in financial advice just on what you hear on TV. That's for sure. The fact is, there's a lot of stuff out there that it's just not. You just need to get multiple sources. Even when I write my articles, my my rule of thumb is I need three confirmations. So if I read an article that somebody quoted Warren Buffett as saying this, I need to go find two other sources that confirm that. All right, so there you go. Five ways that you can wreck your retirement if you want to. If you don't want to, again, <laughs> avoid the five things we just talked about, uh, and you'll be fine. And keep listening to this podcast. Absolutely. And then you'll be even more fine. Because everything we say is true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this show is not fact checked, <laughs> but we really do try to be right most of the time. <laughs> Max, thank you for joining us. Please come back again. Hey, thanks for having me. I'd love to be back. It was, it was fun. It was fun. We have fun. We enjoy answering your questions, and it turns out you enjoy answering our questions, too. I wanted to thank everyone who took the time out to answer our listener survey, and we wanted to share a few of the fun results we got. And they were fun. They were fun. I've I've loved reading the results. It's been great. It's been like a. It's been we laughed, we cried. It was like a warm hug. It was great. You guys are really really funny and entertaining. For those of you who didn't take the survey, we asked some serious questions. We asked you know what topics do you want to hear more about, and it turns out you guys want to hear more about behavioral finance and where psychology and money meet. That was the top answer. Forty five percent of people said they want to hear more about that. Uh, second up was retirement planning. More about the how to save IRAs, four hundred one k, Social Security. About 38% of you wanted that. And then the top third, um, top three answer was living life to the foolish fullest, which was basically our catch all for happiness, productivity, being healthy and wealthy. That was also about 34% of you. So were you surprised by this, bro? I was surprised because many of uh, Motley Fool readers and I'm assuming listeners too are stock investors. So I assumed. They wanted. They would want the hearing more about individual stocks would bubble up closer to the top. But it actually was, I believe, number five. I think number four was like foolish family finances. Like people want to know more about saving for college and stuff like that. So I was very surprised. All right, so we're going to try and do our best to um, have some shows around the topics that you guys have told us you're interested in. But it doesn't mean we won't um, also have shows about loofahs every now and then. <laughs> Uh, we also learned that you guys are mostly millennials and Gen Xers, so the 
25 to 50 age was our most popular demographic. Uh, and then also we had an open-ended question where we asked you to tell us why you're fascinating. Because again, I really believe that everyone has something fascinating about them. For example, Brocamp, you do a really good Kermit the Frog impersonation. Theoretically, yes, I do. It turns out you guys have many fascinating jobs, including farming Atlantic salmon and like um, running and teaching nuclear reactor operations on submarines. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You have fascinating hobbies. One of you claims that you can clap vigorously with one hand and that it doesn't sound as disturbing as it looks. Because it doesn't sound like anything. How can you make noise doing that? Oh. Well, I don't know. Some people, I think, can actually like kind of like flap their hands and make it work. Uh, one of you says that that's you... the sound of me trying it. By the way, everyone, you hear that clapping? Well, that's why that's why you're not fascinating for that's this true. reason. That's why you have other reasons you're fascinating. Another listener can name every mascot to every college in the country. They don't know why it just happened. I don't know how you picked that up. But you All do. right, some college has the mascot of the banana slugs. Did you know that? I did. I did know that. Another one of you, apparently, <clears throat> this is this is a bit of a read, so bear with me. I label all of my underwear chronologically by purchase date with an alphanumeric code. I then stack them in reverse purchase order and use the result of predictive powers to create synthetic long positions in orange juice, platinum, bitcoins, bitcoins, and fan dual fantasy picks. I also never wash them because it upsets my algorithm. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, another person said they can climb a ladder with a bell in both hands. I don't. I don't know. Is that one bell, two hands on one bell. I can climb a ladder with a bell in both hands. I don't know what that means or why you would do it, but I don't know. That's that's cool. I think we need some video submissions of we this. Do need some. You know what? That is a great idea. That is a great idea. Uh, someone said that they like listening to my cheery voice because it lowers their blood pressure. How awesome is that? You need to do like a. A meditation app or something like that. Changing lives, Robert Brokamp. Changing Good lives. Good for you. Thanks. Uh, we, you guys also um, have really great aspirations, and um, I don't know, you're just cool people. So, for example, one of you wrote that you invest in the U.S. and your father is in India, and we compare notes almost every week. And this is our father-daughter thing, which we connected after my mother passed away. Oh, that hmm. was so cool. That was sweet. Um, Many of you are also trying to catch up on retirement and save money and just live great, good lives. So the survey is closed. Um, I want to thank you guys all for answering it because honestly, like we read, we read through every single answer that everyone wrote, and they were all really fun and good. Although I can't believe some of you think you're not fascinating. You are. I'm telling you, you are. The show is edited sentimentally. <laughs> by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. We do have a mailbag episode coming up, so uh, sorry, you guys. Um, we are we got like hundreds of questions we're trying to sort through, but uh, again, like I said, we do have a mailbag, extra bonus mailbag episode coming up this month, so uh, get your questions in. Answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.